Chapter Ten of the Madman and the Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read and recorded by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, August two thousand seven. The Madman and the Pirate by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Ten. We change the scene once more and transport our readers over the ocean waves to a noble ship which is breasting those waves right gallantly. It is H.M.S. Furious. In a retired part of the ship's cabin there are two savage nobles who do not take things quite as gallantly as the ship herself. These are our friends Tomeo and Bucci of Ratinga. Each is seated on the cabin floor with his back against the bulkhead, an expression of woe-begone desolation on his visage, his black legs apart, and a ship's bucket between them. It were bad taste to be too particular as to details here. On quitting Ratinga, Tomeo and his brother chief had said that nothing would rejoice their hearts so much as to go to sea. Their wish was gratified, and not long afterwards they said that nothing could rejoice their hearts so much as to get back to land. Such is the contradictoriness of human nature. There was a stiffish breeze blowing, as one of the man-of-war's men expressed it, and a nasty sea on. He did not say on what. There must have been something nasty also on Tomeo's stomach, from the violent way in which he sought to get rid of it at times, without success. "'Oh, Bucci, my brother,' said Tomeo, of course in his native tongue, "'many years have passed over my head.' A few white streaks begin to—to—he paused abruptly and eyed the bucket, as if it were an intention. "'To appear,' he continued with a short sigh. "'Also I have seen many wars and suffered much from many wounds as you—you—ha—you know, Bucci, my brother, but of all the—he became silent again, suddenly. "'Why does my brother pause?' asked Bucci, in a meek voice, as of one who had suffered severely in life's pilgrimage. There was no occasion for Tomeo to offer a verbal reply. After a time Bucci raised his head and wiped his eyes, in which were many tears, but not of sorrow. "'Tomeo,' said he, "'was it worth our while to forsake wives and children, and church and hymns, and taro-fields and home for this?' "'We did not leave for this,' replied Tomeo, with acerbity, for he experienced a temporary sensation of feeling better at the moment. "'We left all for the sake of assisting our friends in—there. It comes, it—' He said no more, and both chiefs relapsed into silence, gazing the while at the buckets with undue interest. They were interrupted by the sudden entrance of Ebony. "'Come, you yaller-cheeked chiefs!' "'Use die if you no make a heffort. "'Come on deck. Breathe de fresh air. "'Geet up a appetite. "'Go in for salt pork, plum duff, and lobscrouse, "'and you'll get well before you can say Jack Rubinson.' Tomeo and Bucci looked up at the jovial negro and smiled. Imbecile smiles they were. "'We cannot move,' said Tomeo and Bucci together, "'because we—we—' "'Together they ceased giving the reason.' It was not necessary. "'Oh, dear,' said Ebony, opening his great eyes to their widest. 
"'You no can lib long at dat rate. "'Better die on deck if you must die. "'More easy for you to breathe up there, "'and more comfortable to throw you overboard "'when you's got it over.' "'With this cheering remark, the worthy negro, "'seizing the chiefs each by a hand, "'half constrained, half assisted to rise, "'and helped them to stagger to the quarter-deck, "'where they were greeted by Orlando, Captain Fitzgerald, Waranga, and the missionary. "'Come, that's right,' cried the captain, shaking the two melancholy chiefs by the hand. "'Glad to see you plucking up courage. Tell them, Mr. Zeppa, that we shall probably be at Sugarloaf Island to-morrow or next day.' The two unfortunates were visibly cheered by the assurance. To do them justice, they were not quite given way to seasickness until then, for the weather had been moderately calm— but the nasty sea and stiff breeze had proved too much for them. "'Are you sure we shall find the island so soon?' asked Orlando of the captain, in a low, earnest tone, for the poor youth's excitement and anxiety deepened as they drew near to the place where his father might possibly be found. At the same time a strange, shrinking dread of what they might find made him almost wish for delay. "'I'm not sure, of course,' returned the captain. "'But if my information is correct,' "'There is every probability that we shall find it to-morrow.' "'I hopes we shall,' remarked Waranga. "'It would be a grand blessing if the Lord will give us the island and your father in same day.' "'Most too good to be true,' observed Ebony, who was a privileged individual on board, owing very much to his good-humoured eccentricity. "'But surely you not specs de niggers to tumble down at you's feet all at once, Massa Waranga?' "'Oh, no, not at once. The day of miracle have pass,' returned the missionary. "'We must use the means, and then has we not the promise that our work shall not be in vain?' Next day, about noon, the sugar-loaf mountain rose out of the sea like a great pillar of hope to Orlando, as well as to the missionary. Captain Fitzgerald sailed close in, sweeping the mountainside with his telescope as he advanced until close under the cliffs, when he lay to and held a consultation with his passengers. "'I see no habitations of any kind,' he said, "'nor any sign of the presence of man. "'But I have heard that the native villages lie at the lower side of the island. "'Now the question is, whether would it suit your purposes best "'to land an armed party here and cross over to the villages, "'or to sail round the island, drop anchor in the most convenient bay, "'and land a party there?' Orlando, to whom this was more directly addressed, turned to the missionary. "'What think you, Waranga? You know native thought and feeling best.' "'I would not land armed party at all,' answered Waranga. "'But Captain Fitzgerald knows his own business most, what he thinks.' "'My business and yours are so mingled,' returned the captain, "'that I look to you for advice. My chief duty is to obtain information as to the whereabouts of the pirate vessel.' "'and I expect that such information will be got more readily through you, Waranga, than anyone else. "'For besides being able to speak the native language, "'you can probably approach the savages more easily than I can.' "'They are not savages,' returned Waranga quietly. "'They are God's ignorant children. "'I have seen worse men than South Sea Islanders with white faces and soft clothing, "'who had not the excuse of ignorance.' "'Nay, my good sir,' said the captain, we will not quarrel about terms. 
whatever else these ignorant children may be, I know that they are brave and warlike, and I shall gladly listen to your advice as to landing. If you wish to go to them in peace, do not go to them with arms, said Waranga. Surely you would not advise me to send an unarmed party among armed sav children, returned the captain, with a look of surprise, while Orlando regarded his friend with mingled amusement and curiosity. No, you best send no party at all. Just go round the island, put down anchor, and leave the rest to me. But what do you propose to do? asked the captain. Swum to shore with Bible. Orlando laughed, for he now understood the missionary's plan, and in a few words described the method by which Waranga had subdued the natives of Ratinga. You see, by this plan, he continued, nothing is presented to the natives which they will be tempted to steal, and if they are very warlike or fierce, Waranga's refusal to fight reduces them to a state of quiet readiness to hear, which is all that we want. Waranga's tongue does the rest. With God's Holy Spirit and the Word, interposed the missionary. True, that is understood, said Orlando. That is not always understood, returned Waranga. The plan does not seem to me a very good one, said Captain Fitzgerald thoughtfully. I can have no doubt that it has succeeded in time past, and may probably succeed again. But you cannot expect that the natives, even if disposed to be peaceful, will accept your message at once. It may take weeks, perhaps months, before you get them to believe the gospel, so as to permit of my men going ashore unarmed, and in the meantime, while you are engaged in this effort, what am I to be doing? Wait God's time, answered Waranga simply. But time presses. The pirate vessel, wherever it may be, is escaping me, said the captain, unable to repress a smile. However, I will, at all events, let you make the trial and await the result, reminding you, however, that you will run considerable risk, and that you must be prepared to accept the consequences of your rather reckless proceedings. I hope, Waranga, said Orlando, when the captain left them to give orders as to the course of the ship, that you will let me share this risk with you. It will be easier not. You are a strong man, and sometimes fierce to behold. They will want to fight you. Then up go your blood, and you will want to fight them. No, indeed, I won't, said Orlando earnestly. I will promise to go in the spirit of a missionary. You know how anxious I am to get news of my dear father. How could you expect me to remain idle on board this vessel, when my soul is so troubled? You may depend on me, Waranga. I will do exactly as you bid me, and will place myself peaceably in the power of natives, leaving the result, as you advise, to God. The young man's tone was so earnest, and withal so humble, that Waranga could not help acceding to his request. "'Well, well,' said Captain Fitzgerald, when he heard of it, "'you seem both to be bent on making martyrs of yourselves. But I will offer no opposition. All I can say is that I shall have my guns in readiness,' and if I see anything like foul play, I'll bombard the place, and land an armed force to do what I can for you. Soon the frigate came in sight of Angaloo's village, ran close in, brought up in a sheltered bay, and lowered a boat while the natives crowded the beach in vast numbers, uttering fierce cries, brandishing clubs and spears, and making other warlike demonstrations, 
for these poor people had been more than once visited by so-called merchant ships, the crews of which had carried off some of them by force. "'We will not let a living man touch our shore,' said Angulu to Waputa, who chanced to be near his leader, when he marshalled his men. "'Oh, yes, we will, chief,' replied the brown humorist. "'We will let some of them touch it, and then we will take them up carefully and have them baked.' A long pig supper will do us good. The rest of them we will drive back to their big canoe. By the term long pig, Waputa referred to the resemblance that a naked white man, when prepared for roasting, bears to an ordinary pig. A grim smile lit up Angulu's swarthy visage as he replied, Yes, we will permit a few fat ones to land. The rest shall die, for white men are thieves. They deceived us last time. They shall never deceive us again. As this remark might have been meant for a covert reference to his own thievish tendencies, Waputa restrained his somewhat ghastly humor, while the chief continued his arguments for repelling the invaders. Meanwhile, these invaders were getting into the boat. "'What? You're not going without me?' exclaimed Ebony, as one of the sailors thrust him aside from the gangway. "'I fear we are,' said Orlando, as he was about to descend the vessel's side. It was as much as I could do to get Waranga to agree to let me go with him. "'But dis yon nigger can die in a good cause as well as you, massa,' said Ebony, in a tone of entreaty so earnest that the men standing near could not help laughing. "'Now then, make haste,' sang out the officer in charge of the boat. Orlando descended, and the negro, turning away with a deeply injured expression, walked majestically to the stern to watch the boat. Waranga had prepared himself for the enterprise by stripping off every article of clothing save a linen cloth round his loins, and he carried nothing whatever with him except a small copy of God's Word, printed in the language of the islanders. This, as the boat drew near to shore, he fastened on his head, among the bushy curls of his crisp black hair, as in a nest. Orlando had clothed himself in a pair of patched old canvas trousers and a much-worn, unattractive cotton shirt. "'Stop now,' said the missionary, when the boat was about five or six hundred yards from the beach. "'Are you ready?' "'Ready,' said Orlando. "'Then come.' He dropped quietly over the side and swam towards the shore. Orlando, following his example, was alongside of him in a few seconds. Both men were expert and rapid swimmers. The natives watched them in absolute silence and open-mouthed surprise. A few minutes sufficed to carry the swimmers to the beach. "'Have your rifles handy, lads,' said the officer in charge of the boat to his men. "'Stand by,' said the captain of the Furious to the men at the guns. But these precautions were unnecessary— for when the swimmers landed and walked up the beach, they were seen by the men of war's men to shake hands with the chief of the savages, and after that appeared to be a brief palaver to rub noses with him. Then the entire host turned and led the visitors toward the village. With a heart almost bursting with the combined efforts of disappointment, humiliation, and grief, poor Ebony stood at the stern of the man of war with arms crossed upon his brawny chest, and his great eyes swimming in irrepressible tears, a monstrous bead of which would every now and then overflow its banks and roll down his sable cheeks. Suddenly the heart-stricken negro clasped his hands together, bowed his head, and dropped into the sea. 
the captain who had seen him take the plunge leaped to the stern and saw him rise from the water blow like a grampus and strike out for land with the steady vigor of a gigantic frog pick him up shouted the captain to the boat which was by that time returning to the ship ay ay sir was the prompt reply the boat was made straight for the negro and he for it neither diverged from the straight course two of you in the bow there get ready to haul him in said the officer two sturdy soldiers drew in their oars got up and leaned over the bow with outstretched arms ebony looked at them bestowed on them a tremendous grin and went down with the oily ease of a northern seal when next seen he was full a hundred yards astern of the boat still heading steadily for the shore let him go shouted the captain aye aye sir replied the obedient officer and ebony went meanwhile our missionary having told the wondering savages that he brought them good news was conducted with his companion to ongoloo's hut but it was plain that the good news referred to and even waronga himself had not nearly so great an effect on them as the sight of orlando at whom they gazed with an expression half of fear and half of awe which surprised him exceedingly your story is not new to us said ongulu addressing the missionary but gazing at orlando it comes to us like an old song how so exclaimed waronga has any one been here before with the grand and sweet story of jesus and his love the reply of the savage chief was strangely anticipated and checked at that moment by a burst of childish voices singing one of the beautiful hymns with which the inhabitants of ratinga had long been familiar as the voices swelled in a chorus which distance softened into fairy-like strains the missionary and his companions sat entranced and bewildered while the natives looked pleased and appeased to enjoy their perplexity our little ones said ongulu after a few minutes pause are amusing themselves with singing they often do that as he spoke the party were startled and surprised by the sudden appearance of ebony who quietly stalked into the circle and seated himself beside the missionary with the guilty yet defiant air of a man who knows that he has done wrong but is resolved at all hazards to have his way considering the turn that affairs had taken neither orlando nor waronga were sorry to see him this is a friend said the latter in explanation laying his hand on the negro's shoulder but tell me chief we are impatient for to know where learned you that song from one who is mad replied the chief still gazing earnestly at orlando mad repeated the youth starting up and trembling with excitement how know you that who where is he ask him waronga the explanation that followed left no doubt on orlando's mind that his father was bereft of reason and wandering in the neighboring mountain if there had been any doubt it would have been swept away by the chief who quietly said the madman is your father how does he know that waronga i know because there is no difference between you except years and he did not finish the sentence but touched his forehead solemnly with his finger does he dwell alone in the mountains asked orlando yes alone he lets no one approach him answered ongulu now waronga said orlando our prayers have been heard and at least partly answered but we must proceed with caution you must return on board and tell captain fitzgerald that i go to search for my father alone wid de help ob dis yar nigger 
interposed Ebony. "'Tell him on no account to send men in search of me,' continued Orlando, paying no attention to the interruption. "'And in the meantime, you know how to explain my purpose to the natives. I do.' Rising quickly, he left the assembly, and, followed modestly but closely by the unconquerable negro, set off with rapid strides towards the mountains. End of chapter 10